Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. You're probably familiar with the expression, that person has a big head, meaning that that person's ego has grown too big. Imagine for a moment that a person's head would really grow in size and weight when they became too cocky. How much of a burden would that be? You might struggle to lift your head, to fit your head through your shirt, even to walk through doorways if it truly got out of hand. In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright reminds us that while our ego may not weigh us down physically, it is a spiritual burden, one that God asks us to surrender to Him. As we go to our message today, let's open up our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I'll invite you to turn in your scripture to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. We'll be reading a passage there. Reading verses 7 through 12. Hear now the word of God. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. In these moments, O God, be present and active among us so that our hearts and our minds are open to you. May your Holy Spirit be a guide to me that I would speak words of your truth to speak them in simplicity with grace that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience now, we give to you and only you the praise and the glory. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. We've been talking in the past few weeks over the theme of being refreshed. And um, as I kind of laid out those weeks, this text came to my mind. Refreshing can come to us in a, in a variety of ways. And one of those ways is when we release something to God that can be like a heavy load that we carry around. I want for a moment, if we could, to look again at the graphic. Jim, can you put up the graphic with the little girl, the picture that we could see? Can you find that again? Yeah. This Is this picture awesome or what? I I just love... And, of course, graphics can communicate a variety of things to it. Some of it is in the eye of the beholder. But when I see this little girl with her hands stretched up to heaven. The picture is bright. The colors are bright and refreshing. From what you can see on her face, she has her face pointed toward the sun. It's like, have you ever had that morning when it's a little bit cool, and you, but the sun is out, and you just kind of open yourself to the warmth of the sun, and you kind of take that in, and it just feels good? When I saw this 
picture, I thought to myself, that, that's exactly what I would like to convey, that feeling of something that you have. Because she looks like she has surrendered to God something and, and she is just refreshed because of it. And the thing that I would encourage us to surrender to God today is our ego. It's kind of funny that, that even that term in just some casual conversations yesterday rose uh, to the surface uh, talking about ego. Uh, there are a couple of things that play together, and, and I want, if, if you will, to just lay some probably oversimplified definitions. Uh, one, one is the idea of reputation, and the other is the, repu is the idea of ego. And I've heard it put in, in a number of ways. One of them would be this, and I'll share with you, that reputation is what other people think of you. Ego is what, how you think of yourself. Now, granted, those, that's probably too much of a simplification, but for, for today, let's just kind of think of it in those terms, that reputation is how others see you. Ego is how you see yourself. Does the Bible recommend that we protect our reputation? The answer to that would be yes. Yes, the Bible uh, clearly says that we should guard how others see us. Uh, Proverbs 22 verse 1 says that a, a good name is to be preferred above great riches. Uh, you know, favor is better than silver or gold. That kind of theme runs throughout like a thread through the Bible. Um, we, we are to be mindful of how others see us because our witness for Christ is tied to that in the world. So the scripture does recommend that we guard our reputation. But does the Bible recommend that we guard our ego? Well, let's, that's the thing we're going to think about this morning. And we're going to use Paul as a case study, an example this morning. Paul writes to this church in Corinth, and in 2 Corinthians, the, the context behind his writing is that his relationship with the church is not great, okay? Uh, there, there are some strained relationships between the apostle and, and the people in that congregation. Now, some of the people there in Corinth are on his side. They, they believe Paul and his ministry. They, they are supportive of him. But many others in Corinth are not there. Uh, they, Paul's reputation has been damaged by these unnamed other apostles who have had an impact on the church in Corinth. And many people there are, have kind of set themselves against Paul. They're skeptical of the genuineness of his ministry, uh, they they look at him personally, and they they don't think he's all that great. You know, there's just a lot of criticism from a segment of that congregation that has come against Paul. And so, much of what you read in Second Corinthians comes out of that defense, and um, and so that's kind of the the, the text that that's the context behind Second Corinthians. And Paul comes to this. Uh, fourth chapter, 
And there, there's this great verse where he uses this powerful analogy in verse 7 where he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Some, some of your translations will say jars of clay. Uh, that, that's, that's great. The treasure, of course, is the gospel. The treasure is the message about Jesus Christ. That is the pearl. That's, that's the jewel. That is the thing that is above all. It's the, 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 uh, the wealth, the, the measure of its uh, value is, it, it's immeasurable. Okay. But Paul says the, that, that, that treasure is held in something that is just common. It's breakable. It's fragile. It, it's of, of no spectacular worth. It's an interesting analogy, isn't it? Something of surpa- insurmountable value held in something so common. And Paul takes that analogy and uses it. It's interesting that Paul would use that analogy because in another place of his writings, uh, Paul takes the opposite approach. In 2 Timothy, and you can just mark this down to check me to make sure that what I'm telling you is the truth. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, Paul has been talking uh, to Timothy recommending to the people of the church that they do what we said just a moment ago, that, that they need to guard their reputation because their witness in the world is tied to that. And he uses once again that analogy, and he says in that verse that in a large house there are both there are vessels of silver and gold and there are vessels of wood and earthenware. The, you know, some of them are meant for uh, honorable use and some are meant for dishonorable use. And he says to them, if you will guard your reputation, guard how you are seen in the world, then you will set yourself up to be of honorable use. You will be like those vessels of silver and gold ready to be used for honorable purposes, that is, the purposes of the kingdom. But then Paul comes back here in 2 Corinthians, and he chooses to take the opposite side of the analogy. Rather than saying that you are vessels of of great worth, he chooses instead to say, say you're just like, you know, I'm, I'm just like a vessel of, of clay. It's breakable. It's of no spectacular value. It's just common in use. Why would he take, why would he choose to use the opposite side of the analogy? And it really comes to the point that Paul wants to do something that almost seems like a contradiction. He wants so badly to defend his reputation without defending his ego. And those two things uh, are very closely related because in defending one's reputation, we can very easily bolster the ego, and Paul wants to make sure that he does not do that. Walk with me, if you would, through a little bit of Paul's work here in Second Corinthians. I just want you to see kind of how a thread plays through this letter. Just before we began reading in chapter 4, if you go back to verse 5, he, Paul says there, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Why, did, why would he say that we don't preach ourselves? Because obviously there are some that he sees as doing exactly that. They want, they want to, uh, they want their reputation to be good and they want, they, they preach out of a self-motivating, uh, self-glorifying manner. And Paul says, we're not like that. Those who are associated with my ministry, we're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We don't preach ourselves. 
We preach Christ and Christ only. And so obviously there's this, uh, you know, he's, he's pointing out uh, some, some who are taking a different approach. If you would turn over to chapter 10, you'll find there that once again Paul is talking about uh, those who uh, commend themselves. In verse 12 of chapter 10, Paul says, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. And Paul is, is in this little passage speaking very strongly against those who want to boast about their own apostleship, about their own ministry. If, if we are to boast, should we boast of ourselves? No, no. Paul even goes on and says that in verse 17 of chapter 10. But he who boasts is to boast of the Lord. And then he wraps up that chapter by saying, For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. When the Lord commends, that's good. When we commend ourselves, that's not good. If we boast, don't boast in yourself. Boast in the Lord. Paul goes on in chapter 11. One of the more uh, familiar passages of Paul's writings is where he recounts all of the things that he's been through in his ministry. Read with me in chapter 11, if you would, from the middle of verse 21. Paul says here, But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. Paul recognizes, it's like he's saying, okay, I'll play their game for a minute. I'll talk like they talk. They want to boast in all of the things that they've experienced in their ministry. I'll play that game for a minute, although he recognizes it's like foolish talk. And then he goes on. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. You can brag about that. I'm a Hebrew. Paul says, me too. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. It's like Paul wants to remind us, and all he's doing right here is like, I'm just, I'm just for the moment taking the foolish side of those who talk like this. Are they servants of Christ? I more so, in far more labors, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not like the 1970s. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And he goes on from there. Now, why would he go through such an extensive list of look at all that I've experienced in my ministry? It would be very easy for him to say, look at all that. Boy, I can sure boast about how I've subjected myself to the hardships of Christian, Christian ministry so that you might do what? Go, oh my gosh, isn't Paul wonderful? But remember... He indicated to us from the very beginning of that passage that all he's doing is taking the foolish side of those who talk like this. Paul even goes on. If you drop down just a little bit to the beginning of verse 12, or chapter 12, 
Paul says boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he goes from there and he talks about this experience that he had in which he was at one time taken up into the third heaven. In some translations of the Bible, it will say into paradise. It's trying to indicate that he wasn't sure if it was in body or out of body. He wasn't sure, but he was absolutely in the presence of God. And he said, what I heard there were things that are not permissible to be, for, for a human to even speak, to repeat. And once again, could you use that as a matter of boasting? Absolutely. All of these things, Paul says, look, if we wanted to have a boasting contest... I'm pretty sure I could at least be a finalist, if not the champ. But he recognizes that this, all this does is to set you up so as to bolster the ego. And then what does Paul say? Stick with me. Drop down to verse 7 in chapter 12. Where he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now, most of us, having read and been around the church for a while, are familiar with the thorn in the flesh, right? But hear why Paul says it was given to him. To keep him from exalting himself. It was like the constant reminder for him not to get too full of himself and to remember that this awesome ministry that he had was nothing more than putting an invaluable treasure in a disposable container. That's why Paul says in chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, so that the surpassing power is of God and not of us. Paul would not want anyone to walk away having observed his ministry, having heard his teaching, having had their life affected by his influence. He would want no one to walk away and go, that Paul is so awesome. He would want people to walk away and say that Jesus is so awesome. He is the life changer. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say if he observed a, 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 a modern church service and heard people saying, Oh, that preacher is, man, he is so awesome. Do you think he would correct us quickly? He would probably say, quit putting credit where credit is not due. The power comes from God. The glory goes to God and none other. He wants to make sure that even as he has to defend his ministry, because to defend his ministry is to defend the legitimacy of the message he brings. But he cannot defend his ego. And I don't want to suggest to you that Paul had, by this time, mastered it. It may have been a work in progress, but he recognized the importance 
of being able to defend the reputation of his ministry without getting into a defense of his ego. And I think that's why, if you go back to chapter 4, that Paul is able to say things like in verse 8 where he says that we, meaning himself and those who minister with him, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. It's like a guy who keeps getting knocked down but keep bounces back, bouncing back up. Do you remember the old uh, Rocky movies? You know, the prize fighter, Rocky, Sylvester Stallone. What was he known for? I'll, I'll give you the answer. Having a hard head. You, you just couldn't knock him out. You could beat him, you could thrash him, you could send him to the canvas, but he just kept coming out. Those fighters who kept, you know, they'd get frustrated like, I beat him and I beat him and I beat him and he just keeps coming back. Paul seems to be like that. And not always in figurative ways. Some of it was physical. These people who wanted to come against his ministry probably looked at him like those other prize fighters looked like Rocky. Man, he just keeps coming back. What is it that allowed him to do that? Well, there are a couple of ways, and it speaks to us as well. One of those ways would be if you just have such, an, such a strong self-determination to protect and, and to preserve your ego when it gets beaten down. And sometimes our egos can take a beating. Now, if you have the determination to keep your ego rejuvenated, you could keep bouncing back. But if you don't have that self-determination, it can be devastating. But there's another way that you can have that rocky effect, if you will. And that is when you have surrendered your ego to God. As if to say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to be in the business of trying to protect it myself. And that way, when people come against you and, and, you know, they say things about you or they do things or you experience things in life where your ego can take, take a gut punch, if you've given it to God, you just keep coming back. And it allows us to navigate those things that otherwise might be so devastating to us. And when we surrender that ego to God... It's, it is like a weight that you just don't have to carry around. If we get into ego protection mode, it really is a weight because you're always mindful of it, you're always carrying it, you're, you, you know. But when you release it, it's a, it's a weight that you don't have to carry anymore. You just don't. A few years ago, I was invited to... Uh, speak to the graduating class of the School of Discipleship at the Gospel for Asia. I considered it uh, quite an honor to be asked to share with those students who had just com completed their coursework and were moving on to various forms of Christian ministry in the world. 
And so as I prepared for that message, I kind of thought back over my years of being in ministry, and I thought, you know, to, to share kind of out of hopefully the wisdom that I had gained throughout those years. And one of the things that I said to that group of graduating students was, don't believe your own press. Don't believe your own press. What do I mean by that? Christian ministry very often puts a person in a place where um, they're in the spotlight. They are in the public eye. And because of that, they very often are the uh, recipient of uh, good feedback, accolades, compliments. Now, sometimes it's the other way as well. Um, Your press can be good or it can be bad. And I would say either way, don't believe it. That may be stating it too strongly than more strongly than it needs to be stated, but for my own good, sometimes I just need to overstate things. Especially when the world seems to want to compliment you, you have to be very careful because those compliments, that good press, It's like junk food for the ego. It's addicting. You like it, and when you get it, you want more of it because it, it really does something that puts you in a dangerous place. And when it starts to feed the ego, we start doing what the Scripture tells us not to do, which is to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to do. Paul says in, chapter, in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone to not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment. Paul throws in that caution. Don't allow yourself to think more highly than you ought to think. He doesn't want you to think more lowly of yourself than you ought to think, but just don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And it's in those ways that Paul's jar of clay analogy is a great one for us to keep in mind. I'm fully aware that not everybody has the same life experience. We're not all in places where we are in the public eye. We are not all in places where we regularly are in the position that the world around us gives us that positive press. But we are all sharing in one very common thing, and that is the human experience. Whether we are greatly in the public eye or not, we all are subject to those things around us where the good press that we get from other people can start to feed our egos. And it's in those moments that we have to come back to what Paul wants to say to the church and probably to himself, that as followers of Jesus Christ, the ego along with so many other things, is something that we need to surrender to God. Because if we don't, we're going to carry the weight of it, and we will tend always to defend it. 
we don't have to carry that weight. So I want to invite you, friends, to just think about maybe your own experience. I don't know how much of an issue ego becomes to you. I know how much it becomes it's an issue to me. I know my own tendencies. I can't speak for you. But I can say that we're all part of the human experience, and I know the tendencies that humans have. And I believe that if we want to continue to experience the refreshing of God, along with so many other things, we can offer to Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross, to not only bear our sin, but to bear all of our brokenness. And it's into that idea of human brokenness that, that an unhealthy uh, view of ego fits. And Jesus would say, I want you to offer that to me too. I'll take it to the cross. We'll nail it there. And you won't have to bear it anymore. You let me take care of your ego. Don't try to carry it yourself. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful, God, that you loved us so much to send him and that he loved us enough to go to the cross that we might place all of our brokenness, all of our human condition upon him. Father, I pray that you would show us our hearts, and perhaps even those parts of our hearts that we tend to guard. Help us, God, to get past that. Help us to trust you with those things of ourselves that we might try so much to guard. Because we know that in you, we are cherished, holy, beloved, that you've told us that we are of immeasurable worth. And so as we go about our lives, Father, help us to remember that no matter what we're doing, that we are nothing more than a broken uh, earthenware vessel that Christ would be known through us. May it be so that you would be glorified in our lives. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.